0: This episode of the Amphenol Frontline Podcast once again features Julie Hoban, Global Compliance Director for the Industrial Products Group, as she updates us on the progress of the contact tracing wearables trials going on around Amphenol. We talk about the initial results of the trials with lessons learned from the logistics of setting them up, to analyzing the results, to making smart changes. Please visit Amphenol Connections or the Frontline Dashboard for more information as together we combat the coronavirus pandemic around the world. So Julie, here is part two of our contact tracing uh, talk, Uh, I guess 102, right? We did 101 before just (laughs) talking about the, the, the concept of contact tracing in general. And now we get to the 102 or maybe the 201 of actually the wearable devices that we've started to trial in some of our divisions around the corporation. But if you could just give a quick overview of what the wearables actually are and how they work.
1: Sure thing. Well, thank you again, Chris. It's wonderful again to be with you. Um, and so just to really describe the the wearable tech that we're talking about, this is really contact tracing technology, um, but as a descriptor that doesn't fully cover everything that it can do. Essentially what we're talking about is a small rectangular device. Um, we wear it around our neck on a lanyard, we can wear it on a belt clip, it can go in a smock pocket. Um, And with ultra-wideband and low-energy Bluetooth technology, essentially these devices, when worn by one person and your colleague, will help sense proximity from one device to another. And so we set that proximity in accordance with social distancing guidelines, six feet within the United States and North America, two meters outside. And so if you're wearing a device and your colleague is wearing a device and you are within that social distancing limit, the devices start to vibrate. The vibration is really an alert to let you know that you're too close to the other person. So you need to back away, get a little farther apart. Um, And for the wearer of the device, that's essentially the experience. Um, It's really a very simple one, straightforward. Um, the buzzing and vibration is strong enough to be felt, but not so strong that it would be uncomfortable. But the magic of the technology is also what's behind uh, that event happening. And essentially the details associated with that event, the time of day, the date in, on which it occurs, the two identifying tag uh, information between the, uh, the people that are, that are too close together, all of that information gets recorded and stored through the cloud. And so what happens is in the moment that doesn't necessarily uh, happen in a way that is disruptive to the individual. Later on, if there's an infection and we need to do a contact trace, that data becomes immediately accessible. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a very fast and accurate supplement to the contact tracing process that will need to happen. And at the same time, there's also an opportunity to look at those meta trends uh, at, at a broader level and understand even outside the context of doing a contact trace, how the team is doing in terms of their social distancing capability.
0: So as this is now kicked off in a number of different divisions and, and understanding how the technology works from a wearable standpoint, what are some of the early things that, that you and the team have seen as far as uh, uh, trends and and unique perspectives, just taking a look at the data at this early stage of the trials?
1: Sure. So actually the, the short answer is we have seen improvement and that's a very good thing. It's measurable. It's real. Um, across the nine active trials that we have in place all over the, uh, the world, um, we've really been seeing a significant improvement in a very short period of time. Within a week of starting a trial, mm. we're seeing over 20% reduction in the number of social distancing trigger events mm-hmm. or violations that, that um, we could capture. And of the, of the events that are still occurring, we're also seeing improvement there too. They're getting less Um, proximate, meaning they're farther apart, Mm -hmm. as well as shorter in the length of their uh, duration. And so both of those are key variables from an infection risk standpoint. We might recall from the previous contact tracing conversation and some of our training that we've had that those two variables, distance and duration, Mm -hmm. are key in terms of determining risk of infection. So it's in this way that we know we're making an impact, a positive impact in terms of teaching our teams who are using these devices, how to be- how to get better at social distancing. We also look at the other side of this coin and we say, okay, the social distancing is one piece of it, but how are we doing on the contact tracing? So we've done some experiments as well as just sort of anecdotal practical, um, you know, utilizing the data when we've needed to. And, and the ability to access that data rapidly and know that it's accurate has been tremendously beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we know from our, our training that the the speed with which we do contact tracing and the accuracy with which we do it will make it have a much bigger impact in, in terms of our ability to control further infection.
0: Now, just for the sake of this discussion, when you talk about events, and we'll just call it for the lack of a better term, a serious event where there's um, not only uh, proximity, but duration is is both way above the normal. You know, I, I think you had talked about actually in in an earlier discussion or a write-up about um, a, a, a microscope, a lab environment or an inspection environment. What are some other types of events like that where you found immediate almost immediately looking at the data, that, wow, those are something that we need to look at um, trying to come up with a procedure or system a little bit differently because of the just the inherent nature of being in that that close of a proximity as well as being there for a longer period of time.
1: Exactly. So um, essentially, this is a type of technology that, you know, we can use very actively, but we can also monitor the data for trends and things that we might have missed the first time around. Mm-hmm. So think of it as a way to sort of see around the corner or see into the corners in ways that we might not have done before. So we get the data output um, either through a dashboard or through a, 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 an Excel-based kind of data format. And with a little bit of very simple manipulation of that data and turning it into information, we can look specifically at the long duration or the very close proximate events, depending on which type of device that we're talking about. and when we look at those details, we can see the two individuals or multiple individuals that are having kind of the chronicity of that contact. We can see how long it lasts. We can see the time of day when it's, la- when it's occurring. Mm-hmm. And through that understanding, we can then go in and target a solution for minimizing that type of risk, whether it's Decoupling a person from a piece of common equipment that is bringing people together. You mentioned the microscope uh, experience. That was certainly a real finding. Uh, We can also look at just other trends that we're seeing in the data. Again, with this very targeted focus on the higher risk population, long duration, close proximity, um, to really pinpoint some better controls that we might not have already put in place.
0: To ask about the logistics of the devices for a second, Um, since you started to trial these in various locations, what are some of the things you've learned specific to the devices and how we use them that have changed over time as far as, you know, where you set the distance or how you set the distance or just various things that, as people start to wear these, they immediately go, do we have to have it like this? Can we make an adjustment here? Can we do something there? Um, what are some of those things that have, that have come about over the past few weeks?
1: Well, Along with everything else about this technology, we have certainly learned you know, how to be adaptive in terms of the usability, the wearability, and uh, the interpretation of the information and feedback that we're getting. So for one example, um, when we originally started our trial at one of our locations, uh, the vibrational alert was happening, happening immediately when the proximity distance was violated Mm -hmm. and you know we know in in real life that that's going to happen we're going to you know sometimes you know, walk by someone and we might be 5.99 feet within, (laughs) you know, a six foot setting. So what we've been able to do is react to that, um, make sure that they're practical. We want these to be a pragmatic solution, not an absolute annoyance for people. So we've set a delay in terms of how um, the vibrational alert will be presented to the wearers. There's a grace period, if you will, that Mm -hmm. allows them to have these very You know, almost instantaneous violations, but ones that immediately correct themselves in a way that will help the wearability and the usability and uh, the avoidance of just completely ignoring the signal altogether, which is not what we're seeking. We want the signal to be felt and we want it to be uh, interpreted. We don't want it to be a nuisance.
0: Sticking with the logistics aspect of these devices, just for a second too, as far as implementation with probably the IT team in most cases um, in the various facilities. How has that gone so far? Um, Has it been fairly smooth and fairly easy to implement?
1: Yeah, actually it has been, but I will say that having an IT partner in the rollout um, for getting the devices really set up and configured and then uh, deployed has been absolutely instrumental for success. So strongly recommend having uh, IT support when, when any organization is considering this. Um, their job is really to help us understand, you know, how can the technology be most effective given the layout of your building, uh, given the nature of your existing infrastructure in terms of other technology IT wise mm-hmm. and, and other, um, so that the devices don't create an interference signal. Um, And then just in terms of, you know, after that implementation is done, uh, working out some of the details if there's a question with, you know, replacing a device or Mm -hmm. something like that. Or if someone forgets a device at home, how they can be issued a temporary replacement and feathering that back in with the existing data set for contact tracing purposes. IT is critical. Having said that, there are other parts of the organization that are equally as critical to make for a successful rollout. Um, Having full GM support and, you know, really making sure that the information is um, communicated and shared in a very transparent way with their teams so that they can all rally around this effort of making their organizations a safer environment for everyone, which is really our our highest ideal at Amphenol. Um, And HR is a key partner in this effort, too, because, you know, we do recognize this is a slightly uh, different kind of experience for most of our employees. It's not like hand sanitizer or even just necessarily getting your temperature taken. Mm -hmm. Um, We recognize that. We want to make sure that it is as comfortable and safe um, an experience uh, with a positive feeling about it as possible for everyone. So having HR be a partner in helping communicate the reasons why we're doing this, what the the technology can and cannot do, um, why we're using it effectively only within the boundaries of the organizational space, um, and how it will supplement in the event of an infection uh, what they will also be participating in, in terms of contact tracing activities. That's also been very critical. So it does take a village and, you know, it really is uh, been a very extensive, fully supportive team effort across all of our sites. But each of those organizational support mechanisms has been instrumental in helping us be successful.
0: That's great, Julie, uh, and I really appreciate the update. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy continuing to learn about this as time goes on and we start to implement this in, in more and more uh, factories that, that want to have this in their own locations. More to come, I'm sure, so part two is done. I guess start getting ready for part three because I'm sure it's coming soon. <laughs> uh well, you know, I look forward to it. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much, Julie. Thanks again.
1: Thanks, Chris. Have a great day.